Hi, this is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the 146th episode of the Truth Island podcast. In a previous episode, Kenny and I discussed the nature of resentment and some of the harm that can result from harboring resentment for too long. However, another issue that emerged from our discussion was the idea of creating boundaries with other people. On one hand, each of us aspires in becoming the best father, employee, friend, teacher, or simply the best human that they can possibly be. We like to think our love and kindness is infinite, and if we simply negated our own egos, we would be able to achieve boundless wonders in this world. And yet, as most of us come to realize, we as humans do need boundaries, as quite often we are in need of personal alone time in order to recharge our batteries. Conflicting messages in society tell us different things, with articles and books encouraging us to carve out time for ourselves and pursue hobbies and passions which will make us happy. However, this trade-off can sometimes come at odds with those who are closest to us viewing us as being selfish or self-centered. Helping me to draw some boundary lines, I am once again joined by Kenny. Kenny, do you think you owe anyone in this world an explanation with how you spend your time? You know, that question has crossed the line. I'm going to have to draw a boundary there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, this is on the, uh, the list of do not talk list, right? Of, of <laughs> topics we have to avoid. <laughs> no, not, not at all. I, so it's a yes and a no. I think that there are some certain people you absolutely owe an explanation. You know, um, all them explanations for certain things, whether it's your boss, whether it's your father, your mother, those often those who have, you know, who are in a, position of authority over you, police officers and so forth, you have to explain yourself to them. And that's reasonable. And no, no one, uh, it's usually the unreasonable person who tries to avoid explaining themselves to people like that. And then there's, you know, there's the rest of the world, there's your mates and your peers and so forth. And I don't think you naturally owe anybody an explanation for the things you do, because it's by all means your life. Okay, let's let's talk about those different circles. So friends, friends come and go. There's a lot of people who you have fair weather friends. You go for drinks, but you don't owe anyone. Uh, you don't have an obligation to anyone to hang out in a bar or do whatever. You know, like that's and, and that that comes with the territory. If you don't want to hang out, even if they give you a little bit of a hard time, ultimately there's no obligation. They're they're not the ones that are paying your bills for you, and and that's fair game. I want to talk a little bit about some of the people that are a bit closer to you in life. And that, that could be your boss, that could be coworkers, that could be your spouse, it could be your kids, it could be any of these people. Because I think even in those areas, there does need to be boundaries. And, and like, you know, on one hand, there are, when, when you've engaged, when you have a boss or something, there is, and let, let's start with the workplace first and then we'll make our way to the family, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so here in America, we have this idea in our head, right? That like mm-hmm. boss is the boss man. He is the boss man. He controls me. You know, as, as long as I'm under his watch, I am his faithful servant or whatever. However, what I like about France is that they have a rule there that says it's illegal for a boss to contact you after five o'clock. So you come to work, you do your thing, but then after five o'clock, you're, you leave, you, laptops shut down, they can't email you, they can't call you, they can't tell you to come back, they can't tell you to log on from your computer at home. And I kind of like that. And again, I'm obviously biased because I'm come, I've been a worker for the most, most of my life, not a, a boss man. But I, I think that those kind of things are fair to ask. You know, if someone's paying me for the hour, okay, well then my body belongs to that person for the hour, right? Like that my mind and my body belongs to that person if they're paying me for the hour. However, I, I think even, you know, I, I think we have not a lot of, at least a lot of people my age or so don't have a work-life balance. So what do you say when it comes to the sphere of work? Well, I, the idea of, you know, the boss not contacting you after five o'clock sounds like a brilliant idea. Um, because first of all, you know, I think that there are situations and many situations where, you know, when you work for someone, they think they own you on and off the clock. They think simply because they pay, you know, they pay your, you know, they give you a paycheck, pay your wages, that it's, that you're theirs and that, you know, you can't really do anything about it. And often you can't because you know that the hassle of saying no 
is either going to create a very uncomfortable, often not all the time, create a very uncomfortable workspace or get you fired, right? And so people who don't have that privilege are, it's, it's kind of like a lose-lose situation. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. So those who have, you know, anxieties over work, is, it's usually, it's, I would say that it's a lot of young people, you know, because there's this stigma of being young and not working. I think it is important. It is important to establish a uh, um, some sort of balance between work and you know personal life, especially if it's you know, especially if it's something that you know that that affects your 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 life in a in a in a, in a big way. If you have kids, you want to spend time with them and your wife and your friends and so forth. Um, you can't you, you you can't be distracted by work at certain points at certain points in your life in your everyday life. And uh, it's really tricky. This is one of those places where it's, it's, it's got to be tailored to the individual, to their personal situation, because it's not, a, it's, not a, it's not a blanket fix here for everyone, because some people, their workplace actually does need them. Um, and some people do, you know, they don't mind, you know, putting in an extra hour for the boss or for whoever it may be at the work. While others, it really bothers them, but they really can't say jack squat about it because they're terrified or, you know, either either they're cowards or they're just really, they're, they're, they're certain or concerned about, you know, the implications of that in the workplace. I think you struck upon something that, that needs further explanation, and that is your upfront agreements with your employer. And I, I think it goes as follows. If you accept a job that pays like, a normal lower middle class or middle class salary, 40K, 50K, 60K, whatever it is. And the boss man says, you know, your hours are from nine to five or from eight to four, whatever it is. And you're earning just a regular working class salary. That's an agreement, right? That's like a contract. That's that's a covenant. That's a, a contract between you, the employee and the employer. Now, if you're a high paid lawyer, and they tell you at the job interview up front, listen, we are paying you $400,000 a year, but we own you. And, and if we call you at midnight, you got to pick up the phone, end of story. Then that's another type of arrangement because from, from up, up front, they are paying you a devilish handsome salary of $400,000 a year or whatever. And if they tell you that they own you and that they have the right to call you at 1 a.m., you're signing up for that. Where I think it becomes a problem is when you have a lot of normal folk who are just earning regular normal folk incomes, and they're, they're being signed up for the grand tour. They're being signed up for the 1 a.m. emails and all this other stuff. And that's, that's where I think upfront bargaining kind of has to come into play, because I think that um, if you sign up for something, you take the risks and you take the responsibilities that come with that, it becomes problematic where they tell you one thing and they pay you for one thing, but then they expect something totally different. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely understand that. And that happens a lot in the workplace. Often you, you get a job thinking that you're going to be an accountant and you're, yeah, sure, you're an accountant, but you're also a secretary. Or you think, get a job thinking you're going to be a janitor and you find that you're not just doing the janitorial work, but you're also doing the laundry. You know, and it takes about maybe a month or two before they spring it on you. And by then you're in it. You can't really do you know jack squat about it because the hassle of looking for a new job is well is a hassle, and we don't like being hassled as human beings. We do like our comfort, and so um, uh, upfront bargaining is. I mean, it's it's important. Not everybody can do it, and not every job opportunity allows it. But most of the time, the average citizen is simply just trying to get a job, maintain the job, and die, because they don't really want to you know. Nobody wants to go through the, the rigmarole of the stressful situation of either challenging the system or leaving the system and having to look for a different system that suits you, you know, suits you better because it's really difficult. But for those who can bargain, for those who, you know, who have the capacity, absolutely. And the person who takes a $400,000 job, knowing fully well what it costs, sending your soul away to the devil, absolutely. They, they signed that paper it's like, yep, it's written. You signed it in blood. It's right there. You can see it. Yeah, you got it. You got to uphold your end of the contract. One lawyer sold for four hundred thousand dollars. Coming up, going <laughs> <laughs> twice sold. And I think, it, I think, I think, I think it's sure. If you, if you can handle it, take it, please, absolutely. Um, and if you can bargain, absolutely, please bargain. Yes. So, 
another thing that kind of seeps into this picture is this idea of guilt. And what I notice is that sometimes employers are very good at fostering guilt in the workplace, and they're not necessarily the ones that bring about that guilt. They kind of bring about that guilt through your fellow coworkers or your teammates, so to speak. So if you're if you're there in an office setting or you're just sitting there and it's like five o'clock and everyone sees you getting up, chances are it's not even your boss that's giving you those funny looks. It's your 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 team like, oh well, this guy thinks he's special. He he thinks he can just uh, get up and uh, you know leave there. And I, I think that 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 is an example of a boundary. I think that's a boundary right there because the, the only question that really needs to be asked, if someone gets out of their seat at five o'clock, which they have every right to do, there's only one question that should be asked. And that question is, did that person do their job? That's the only question that really matters. It doesn't matter whether they did it in three hours or whether they did it in four hours or five hours. Did they do their job? And if you can answer yes, it doesn't matter if they decide to leave at five o'clock. And I think that our our generation has has that that problem, just solidifying that boundary. And 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 I think you said this earlier. It takes bravery. It takes bravery to kind of establish that that boundary because you're not only talking back to a boss, you're probably talking back to several of your coworkers as well. And you have to explain and you have to overcome that guilt because everyone is going to come at you and be like, "Well, I I, I stayed late yesterday," and I'm like, "Great." who told you to stay late? Oh, you chose to stay late. That's you, buddy. You chose to stay late. Right. And that, that takes bravery and it takes courage because you, you know, it takes courage to stand up to multiple people. So you, any tips on that? Yeah. I mean, if you're, I think courage, well, I don't know how a person can be taught courage, but it's important. One of the things about guilt is guilt is guilt is, you know, when you've done something actually wrong, and it's you're objectively guilty. You've done something that even you deem to be unacceptable. In the sense that even if even if a person, even if nobody was there to see you commit the whatever whatever it is you did, your conscience tells you you've 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 done porked up, right? Shame is a different story. Shame has to do more with the perception of others about our situation, our actions, our our words, and whatever it may be. So shame has very little to do with you know, what's actual, but conceptual. And so um, what you find is those in a workplace experiencing peer pressure and shame and things like that will just knock it off because it makes it makes literally zero sense in the sense of, you know, when when those coworkers, they're not with you, you know, they, they're not a part of your life, bro. And they're you not know? your friend either. Yeah. They're not your friend. They don't, <laughs> care, they don't care about you. And you certainly, except for if you know you have good coworkers and you guys seem to click well, then you know it'd be weird if they make you feel ashamed for um, going home when your work is done. It's just you know what I mean. So I think that we it's it's important to get rid of that shame. It's important to get rid of, and it comes with an understanding. It comes with understanding in the sense of you know you you you, you got to understand okay. What's what's the nature of work? What's the nature of the relationship between an employee and employee? What's the nature of you know the relationship between employee and coworker, coworkers? And if you can if you can solidify these things for yourself as it actually is, I think you'll be okay. But on the surface, I'm going to say that the shame is completely completely useless. But it is it is a very brilliant tactical method to get people not only working hard but also working against each other which is interesting for a workplace. What's very interesting is that we live in a very, we're obviously a capitalist uh, society here, but a lot of these techniques that are used in workplaces actually come from communism, which I actually find very ironic because in communism, there's, you know, there's no I, there's a we. And, you know, people, you know, under Stalin and under Mao and many of these communist leaders, they were forced to work in something called collective farming, right? And it, it didn't matter. It didn't matter if you were done farming for the day. It's like the whole village would guilt you into continue farming or to continue giving up your share of crops and so forth. So this idea of collective shame or collective guilt it's really funny because it actually originates within communist societies, but now I kind of seeing it being played out in the capitalist world. And I, I think what all communist societies try and do 
is they try and corrode the inner voice. Each of us has an inner voice that tells us if we're in the right or if we're in the wrong. So if a, if a kid steals a candy bar from a store, there's an inner voice that is in that kid that says you have done wrong and it's undeniable, yeah. right? But I think that in, in, in some of these situations, what they try and do is they try and corrode your inner voice of like, am I in the right? Am I in the wrong? Did I put my, did I do my best work? Did I try hard? Did I do my job? They try and corrode that inner voice within you that tells you the difference between right and wrong or shame and no shame. And I, I find something very dangerous about that because that inner voice is what gives us boundaries to say no. Yeah. I mean, and it, it's, it's also, um, <laughs> Anybody who controls or speaks for that inner voice is basically your God, is the person who controls you. And so if, if you know, if, if the boss is manipulating you, there's one of the only ways you can do it, only two ways to get, to get control of another human being is through force, at least physical force. So there's physical force, sorry, there's only one way is force, but it's physical force or emotional force and manipulation. So you manipulate them through violence of the body or manipulate them through violence of the mind. And that, if you can do it and do it successfully, yeah, you have a bunch of uh, well, well-rounded cattle uh, working for you and you can you know, sway them however you please. And you know, God forbid one of them actually starts thinking for themselves, then it's, it, all hell breaks loose and they're, they're the ones that usually starts being attacked or um, or you know, not 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 well appreciated or 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 or, or advanced in the workplace. One one last thing I want to talk about before we move on to the family. Um, this is something that I I am a sentimental guy. You know, as much as I speak about like you know, hey, I'm getting out of here. It's five o'clock. There is a part of me also though that is somewhat of a sentimental guy, and if I see like one of my brothers or someone that I respect really sweating by his brow, I, I, I do feel compelled to help that person. Like there is, there is genuine guilt if I do see everyone else working really hard and, and deservedly so, not because they were coerced or tricked or because they have inflated egos and think that they're all that important. But if I see someone working hard, I do have that feeling of like, I am leaving behind fellow human beings. I think people in the military feel that quite a lot. You know, they feel like, um, you know, I, I, you hear from like servicemen, like even when they're on mm. their, their vacation or they're, you know, at home, they feel guilty. Like, oh my goodness, I'm not out there with my brothers right now. Even though I deserve this time off, I've been allotted this time off. I feel bad. How, how should one deal with genuine guilt of like watching other people working hard and you're just, not partaking in it like do, do you give any air to that voice or is that voice just another form of trickery within yourself well it could it could be but it's it, 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 it's a yes and a no um because oh yes or no excuse me because if you're let's just say that you're working it's crunch hour and uh the company's going through such a situation where they need all the hands they can get and you know some unforeseen situation uh, had been sprung upon them and um, there really isn't much time to get things done, right? Legally, legally and contractually, you're allowed to leave at five o'clock. That's perfectly fine. And if you did it, no one would fault you, hopefully, but you know, usually they do. But let's just say we're living in an ideal world. Legally, if you could, if you could leave at five, you, you'd leave at five. But if you, you're about to get up and you see your mates working, working about and you want to, you're wondering, should I go? And you, you think to yourself, you know what? I, sh I want to stay here and help because that's that's that um, that's what I want to do. I just think it's the right thing to do. And sometimes when your mate is silent, right? Like when your mate is trying to shame you into staying, then you actually are more inclined to leave. But when your mate is like silently working and then you leave, then you actually feel even worse. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's human nature, you know, right? Because we we are our biggest uh, critics. We don't know, I mean, some of us are. <laughs> I, like to, I, I don't know if that's true anymore. But usually, we're, we're, we're usually our biggest critics. No one is harder on ourselves than we are on ourselves, you know? And so the silence, the silence, whether he's, you know, intentionally being silent or just focused on his work, often, yeah, we, we, tend to, we tend to go back and forth with ourselves. And, but here's the thing. 
if you do that simply because you want to do it, it's your choice. It wasn't because anybody forced you to do it, which makes it a good thing, which makes it an act of kindness um, and an act of camaraderie. And it makes it a, it makes it, it, it makes it a, so, a, makes you a solid being. You know what I mean? But if you're, you know, coerced into doing it, manipulated or finally uh, forced into doing it, then it's not really a good thing. It's not really your choice. You're just there like a robot doing what they have been, you know, what you've been assigned to do. But here, people don't know this, but it's actually pretty Im impressive what workers would be willing to do for their companies if they were shown a great deal of care. You know what I mean? We feign care all the time. We pretend in our commercials, we always say, we care about our, our employees. We, we are like a family here. But the truth is, they don't give a crap about you. Hell, they don't even know your name. You know what I mean? You, you, you leave today, Joe Schmo takes your place tomorrow. So you're just another cog in a wheel. But if companies actually, actually genuinely, which is, I do not think it's possible. I, and he, I'm going to say this outright right now. It's not possible. But if there were the case, if, if, if for, by some weird turn of events, maybe, I don't know, hell flows over. So the idea is that if companies actually cared for the employees, you know, um, believe it or not, I believe that a lot of these, you know, a lot of employees don't, some will take advantage of it. A lot would be very loyal to the company and will work hard for the company because we often, human beings are very, we're very tribal. And when we believe that we are part of something, we work hard to the, you know, for the progress of that thing. Um, but that's, you know, that's just, that's, that's just an ideal world. Um, I, I, I agree because when we, when someone, you know, like, you know, in one of our future episodes, I think we're going to discuss is are humans good or evil, but I actually think that's a very good case to make about how we have inherent goodness within us because we know when somebody is legitimately deserving of help or legitimately uh, deserving of, uh, is legitimately suffering, right? And I think that's a great example. Let's say you're working at a company and there's an unforeseen problem with a client or it's tax season. And you yeah. decide to stay late because it's tax season. And I have a lot of friends that are accountants and, you know, they, they are a complete ghost through the month of April, you know, when all the taxes are being done. But here's the thing, and this is the caveat that I'm going to throw into this. If you decide to stay late or your employer asks you to stay late because there's a special project or it's tax season, fine, fine, good and dandy. Assuming you're a normal like 60K a year, regular average Joe person. But here's the caveat to this. You need to call them out on it later on, right? You have to tell them like, hey, you know how like for those two weeks in April, I was here until nine o'clock. Well, you know, you, I'm going to be leaving early now in May or in June or whenever it is, right? Because there, there has to be that trade-off of like, there's a time for sacrifice. There's a time for extraordinary circumstance. There's always extraordinary circumstance. And that's an opportunity for us to be extraordinary human beings. But the time for being extraordinary is not every day of the year. It's just, it's just not. You're, you're not every day is, is an extraordinary day. And I think if you're going to step up to the plate, you need to take note of it and you need to be willing to kind of throw that back um, yeah. against your employer or your coworkers and being like, Hey, I did my thing when we, when you really needed me, I was there, I was a team player, but yeah. today, today is just a Tuesday. Today is just a regular Tuesday and I'm out of here. Bye. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it takes, it takes, uh, it takes, it takes a certain amount of understanding to do that, but yeah. I, I, and I think, I, I think, look, if you're the only dude that's doing this, it, it's awkward. It's awkward as hell. But I, I, I think that our generation needs to kind of learn this. I think, I think earlier generations, you know, that were unionized or whatever, they, they kind of knew this already. And somehow our generation just forgot about this or unlearned it or whatever. But we need to start relearning this and, and just yeah. learn. Basically, it's called learning to be an adult and speaking up for yourself, if I, if I, if I put it so simply. Okay, let's go ahead and transition to boundaries with loved ones and family and so forth, right? And, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna hear this like, Aaron, you're being selfish right now. You need to spend more time doing this with me, you know, right? And, you know, look, if you're, if you're married to somebody or in a committed relationship, you're not a single dude anymore. You're not, you're not an independent, you're not an independent dude anymore. I'm just, I hate to break it to you. <laughs> you're, you're in a relationship and that's going to require yeah. sacrifice. I'm wondering how 
it is that you create boundaries because as much as as much as it's true that you're no longer a single entity i do believe that relationships do function very nicely when each person in that relationship has their alone time and has that special place in the apartment or in, if if you're if you're lucky enough to have separate rooms has their own room to kind of really do what they like to do and sort of live in their world and pursue the hobbies and passions and maybe even pursue the friends or whatever other things that they do and then i think it's very romantic and very beautiful and very functional if they do their separate things and then they come back together and they they live their independent lives but then they unify at the end of the day and talk to each other about what happened i think there's something very beautiful about that instead of them just being like tied at the hip texting each other every 5 seconds when they're separated at work what say you well i didn't say this earlier but when it comes to because we're moving into you know much more dicey area and more sensitive i believe yeah I think i'm going to say it now i think that the ideal place to be in life is not one who sets boundaries i think that the ideal place to be in life is one without boundaries whatsoever in the sense of and now when i say that everybody wants to you know um get naked and jump into the neighbor's pool that's not what i'm talking about at all <laughs> <laughs> no so um because that <laughs> but what, what i'm talking about is um a person's who whose being whose heart whose whose person is you know ready to adapt and ready to joyfully and without even noticing it joyfully adapt to his or her own surroundings so um so when it comes to family or even work when we come back come we can circle back to that too but when it comes to family specifically having boundaries is not a bad thing i mean i always give my friends crack for it but secretly i know it's not a bad thing um but i because i believe there's a better place to be and that's what i described as a person who is adaptable and who is joyfully adaptable um in whatever circumstances they may be in but when we're dealing with boundaries with family um yeah yeah it's it's if you if you if you need it then you need it um it's important to to have that time where you're not being disturbed hassled bothered where you can go and you know um get the weight of the world off of your shoulders whether it's you know be you know with your mates uh cigar scotch and whatever it may be video games sitting down think writing drawing whatever it is name it pick it it's your thing um so i th- i think it's important and i think you're right there is something nice about having a little bit of a you know different experience in a day and then coming together and chatting about it or not chatting about it but yes coming together and in the day and at least you know no more no more uh, no more weight on the shoulders <laughs> I I first off I love that expression um what what did you call it like joyful adaptation is that is that what you said earlier Oh joyful adaptation yeah Yeah um, no that, that's a beautiful phrase okay I'm going to pick your mind on joyful adaptation and how that works it sounds almost darwinian it's like you're joyfully yeah. adapting to this new person in your life and the things that they want to do okay so let's let's go over an example of joyful adaptation okay so sometimes my girlfriend likes to go shopping as a lot of people's girlfriends like to do and yeah. i hate shopping i'm just going to i'm just going to just absolutely hate it right you with your brother <laughs> <laughs> i same story man i mean I, for a guy for me i walk in i walk out i walk in i know exactly what i'm looking for thank you it, thank you i've been and i'm done i don't even have to try it on sometimes you know what i mean I was grabbing and I'm like, I go. <laughs> I, you know, I was telling somebody um, earlier that IKEA makes you walk through every other section, right? You go to the yeah. IKEA, you have to go through the kitchen section, you have to go through this. It's like I really just want this one thing, but then you I get, yeah, you get lost. You get lost in the maze, and all these other things are screaming at you or screaming at your significant other and it's all just like an elaborate ploy to distract you and so forth but i i i hate shopping i just in general i hate it so my question is is this 
sometimes it's helpful to have an extra person around when you're going shopping. And I get that, right? And I, you know, I, I do the driving and all this other stuff. So I want to ask you, since I despise shopping, what is the right thing to do in that situation? To say, uh, sweetheart, I, you know, I, I just, I'm going to sit this one out. I'm going to stay home. Or do I joyfully adapt to going to the shopping mall? Okay. If you need to quote unquote, joyfully adapt, don't. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because it's like the person is saying i'm being patient with you well the very fact that you mentioned you're being patient with me indicates you're not patient with me at all so it's one of those things where if you notice you're doing it or you're trying to do it don't do it because a joyful person who just naturally or joyfully adapts to the situation doesn't think about it just kind of go it's like a friend of mine describes why says why uh uh, drunk drivers or uh, um, yeah, I think it's drunk drivers often survive the, 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 the collisions. And it's strange because it's almost as though um, it's almost as though because you're so lubricated, they just kind of go with the flow. It's like out the windshield. Okay. And he just psh, out the windshield, he goes and he's happy and happy as a clam. The point is simply, it's kind of like that. You don't think too much about it. It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like the Tao in the sense of it's, it is what it is. The flow is the flow. If you, um, but the, the idea is simply that if you, if you pay too much attention to being joyful, it's like someone telling you, relax. Oh, I can't relax now. <laughs> I just want to just relax, you know, help me out here, buddy. Um, so it's one of those things that if you find yourself wanting to be joyful, wanting to adapt, wanting to go for the sake of that kind of feeling, don't do it. Stay home and do something else. Okay, but now we're in a little bit of a pickle here because <laughs> let's say that you need to like, I mean, because on one hand, you said that the goal is to be kind of boundless, right? Like there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a boundlessness that's kind of bringing these two people together. Um, and perhaps there's things that your significant other wants to share with you that you don't necessarily want to partake in, but it's significant to, it's significant to them, right? It's significant Absolutely. to them and there, but it's not significant to you because now, now you're stuck between, uh, a rock in a hard place because on one hand you recognize how significant it is to the other person so you have the option of falsely joyfully adapting right like okay i don't really want to do this but i see it's important to you so i'm gonna put you know i'm gonna joyfully adapt to what it is that we're doing um but then if you don't joyfully adapt and you just say no i'm gonna sit here and just play video games all day or i'm gonna watch tv well, then you're going to be accused of being selfish. So if you don't, okay. if you, if you don't fake it, if you don't mm -hmm. fake it, then, you know, you're accused of being selfish, but then mm -hmm. if you are faking it, you're faking it. So what, yeah. what? It, yeah. Well, well it's, I, I love that situation because it's just, it's just clearly human. We're so it's like, and it's so lovable because here's the thing. I, I, there are certain situations that it's very hard, very hard to defend yourself, okay? Um, when someone calls you selfish, it's a very hard thing to say, I'm not selfish. Unless, of course, you are, I mean, you're just gifted with some sort of, whew, just, just smack down right there with a just brilliant retort. I, I don't know how to help you, buddy. But usually people have this weird, what do you mean I'm selfish? I'm not selfish. And they just go back and forth. I'm not selfish. Yes, you are. I'm not selfish. Yes, you are. <laughs> okay. You know, it's hard to defend yourself from being selfish. And that's why people often use, you know, you're selfish. Um, but there are a lot of people who are in fact selfish, you know, and here's the thing. That's wrong. Every human being is selfish. I'm sorry about that. Every human being is selfish. The question is, how selfish are you? Are you selfish on a gradient of, you know, are you always thinking about yourself? Is that really how bad it is that you've never thought one day, one dime about somebody else, their needs, their suffering, your hurts? Have you never stepped out of your own comfort, your own way to help somebody else? Because there are people who are absolutely like that. They will hurt you for a penny. And there are those who, yeah, I mean, they just want to do what they want to do when they want to do it. And sure, most of the week or where, I don't know, most of the week they, they 
selflessly help others however they can. But when it comes to their stuff, like their time, they are absolute, they will cut you for their time. You know what I mean? So I, 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 the, the, the accusation is often true. And so, and we often feel the prick because it's like one of those things people tell you, you know, is it, is it, if a person doesn't want to be selfish, right? And they've been working at it, let's just say for a couple of years now. And you say, um, well, are you selfless enough? Who in your right mind is going to say, yes, I am selfless enough? You know, like, what kind of answer is that? There is no answer to that. The only answer to that, the only, the only socially acceptable, the only, even to the person who's answering, the only decent answer is either, I doubt it, I don't know, or hell no. You know what I mean? Like, there is, um, so it's one of those places where the human is trapped. So when it comes to being selfish, it's you that has to determine whether or not you're selfish. You have to do it. No one else can tell you whether or not you're selfish. You've got to deal. If they tell you, you've got to deal with it. You've got to understand is it true, whether it's true or not. Because ultimately, it's you that determines whether you are in fact selfish or not. And you've got to be honest with yourself. If you lie to yourself, well, good, good, good to you. Not only are you selfish, you're also insane. So it's like, you got to tell yourself the truth. Are you selfish? Consider it, you know? And of course, when you when and when you finally know yourself, when someone says, "Are you you're selfish?" I, not not really. I not not really. I mean, I'm I'm just doing this one this thing right now because I want to do it. It has nothing to do with you know me not wanting to have you let you have your way, but I I just simply want to do it. You know, so um, I think honesty is one of those things that really does counter those those situations. Um, but but being accused of being selfish is a very difficult situation to get out of. Um, um, unless you're James Bond, <laughs> James, 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 selfless. <laughs> James selfless Bond, okay, so I, like, okay, let's see if we can get out of. Let's help our fella here, who's sitting on the couch now, and he's he's got a big decision to make here. Yeah. He goes to the to the boring shopping mall, and he yeah. hates he hates himself for it. He's bored. He's looking at his phone. He's like, come on, how many times are we going to look at that pillow over there? Let's get out of here, right? So we got our fella. He can make, he can choose the, the quote unquote, the selfless road, but he's oh, yeah. going to, right? But, but he's going to end up being angry with himself and bored and frustrated. And, you know, he's not going to be in the happiest of places. However, yeah. if he chooses the sitting on the couch playing his video game road, then there's going to be an internal guilt that creeps into him like, man, you know, maybe there's some heavy stuff that they're lifting, you know, they, they maybe they need a, a nice, strong strapping man to be there and help them move this from the car and do this and that, right? So it's one of these situations where you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. Mm. I guess the question that you have to ask yourself is, if I sit on this couch, I got to be honest with myself and say, I am being selfish right now. Can I live with me being selfish right now is like the question that every man or woman must actually confront themselves with. So there's a musician named Andy Menio. He's one of my favorite rappers. Um, he says something like this. He gives a line, he says, both, he says, uh, you got two choices. Both require pain. One's the pain of change and the pain of staying the same. So the, the idea is simply this, in that situation, that's exactly what you're going through is you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, but one damning is actually for your good and the other damning is not for your good. So there is the, there is the person who does, I mean, the person who does go does not like it. They just don't like it. And all the whole time you're thinking, man, I could be playing video games. I could be playing video games. I could be reading a book. I could be watching a movie, whatever it may be, right? And the other person, the other lad who doesn't go, and this is, this is obviously, this is, Obviously, just an example. I mean, I, I know that people's minds and hearts work in you know very, you know, different and complex ways. But this is something simple, just to give a to give an idea of something. Send a message across. So the, the other lad chooses not to go, right? And he's playing the game or reading the book or whatever. But he or she keeps thinking, yeah, I should have gone. I could have gone. You know, like what if this? What if that? And you find that the one who wins in spite of not wanting, actually wanting to go, doesn't change for the better at all. 
because they they forced themselves to do something that was contrary to their nature. Their nature did not naturally change. And that's what often what we try to do. We try to force change into our lives. And we don't know that often it's until we get what we want. That's why, listen, that's why it's, it's often the millionaires who tell you money isn't everything. They're bastards for saying it, but it's true. <laughs> <laughs> It's true, you know. So but, the, the like the movies, right? When we watch movies, right? The, the movies always make it seem like you have a, a reluctant hero, right? The, the reluctant hero. So our guy sitting on the couch right now is a reluctant hero. And the movies will trick you into thinking, well, if that guy gets off the couch and just does the right thing and goes to the to the shopping mall with his wife, something magical will just happen there. And then the guy will be like, aha, I've seen the error of my ways. And now, and now we had this joyous, wonderful time together, right? But it's not, you know, it, it's seldom like that. It's like, you will do that thing. You will go to that shopping mall and then you'll just be glad to come home or whatever. And I, I think that, that we need to kind of remove that from our, our psyche because we're, we're expecting a feel good, like fairy tale ending. If we do the right thing, it, it doesn't always work out that way. It often doesn't work that way. So most of the time when you do the right thing, you get hurt. The right, the right way is filled with pain. I mean, I mean, listen, even, even the Christ said this, said narrow, straight and narrow is the gate that leads to salvation. Like it's, 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 a, it's a tight road. It's, it's not an easy road. It's a very tight road. And so the, the idea that, you know, doing the right thing turns into this wonderful magical adventure is sometimes it's true. Don't get me wrong, but that's just sometimes. Most of the times you're going to get your nuts kicked in. And it's going to hurt like the Dickens, you know, and you're going to think to yourself, but I did the right thing. I didn't know. I didn't know the old. I, I was trying to help her. I was trying to help the old lady across the street. Little did I know she was a, you know, 12 degree black belt that I was going to mug her and kick my <laughs> ass. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So the, the, <laughs> the point is simply, you know, the, the, often, not all the time, but often um, doing the right thing hurts. But there is something else that arises from doing the right thing that no one talks about. We often talk about self-confidence and we think self-confidence is, 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 must, is mustered up by looking at yourself in the mirror and telling yourself you're a good chap. It's not my, it, I don't care how many times you say it, it's not going to work that way. Self-confidence arises when you, when you become a person that you respect. And that happens when you make more right decisions than wrong, especially in the midst of adversity. So when you, when you stand up for someone else, you're the only one who goes home with a good feeling. Even if it, the situation went to shit, <laughs> you go home with a feeling like, holy crap, I'm that kind of guy. I didn't know that about myself. Or I'm that kind of gal. I didn't know that about myself. Like, like I like myself right now. You know, I'm the kind of person. I didn't know this, but I'm the kind of person who would do this naturally. I, I didn't know that. I would, I'm the kind of person who would make this difficult decision, who would make a right, who, who would make a right decision in a very difficult situation. Nobody knows, nobody knows that those things build you up. And when you look at yourself in the mirror, you don't see a kid anymore. You see a full-grown adult, and not just an adult. You see an adult you're proud of. One of the reasons we don't have self-confidence, especially young people. Because we keep making bad decisions and we have to live with them. We look at ourselves in the mirror and we're not proud of who we are. We're ashamed of ourselves deep down inside. Hello? Yes, of course you're ashamed of yourself. You're living like an animal. You know what I mean? And so, and you, so often the decisions we make really do reinforce the kind of person we are. And the kind of person we become either makes us confident and strong or makes us weak and ashamed. Wow. Um, let, let me just say that I think you have laid on some serious truth on tr like that, that, that. Like that's like that's a that's like a number ten here on Truth Island. We talk about a lot of truth, but that's that's like a, a ten or eleven up there in the sky, man. Um, I completely agree with that, and I, I love the analogy that you just used because no matter how much weights you, you lift, no matter how much hair gel you put in your hair or whatever it is that you, your fancy clothes or whatever it is, if you are not 
living your life as a good, positive human being, you will loathe yourself. It doesn't matter how handsome you are. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how rich you are. It doesn't matter what it is. You will not like the person that's staring you back uh, Ooh, in the mirror. Goodness. And I, I think honestly, you're one of the few people that probably lay down the truth like that so hard and so clean. So I thank you for that. So bottom line, you would definitely tell that lazy guy on the couch, like, hey, buddy, put down the video game controllers. It's time to, it's time to help your wife and go shopping. No, I'll tell him to keep playing because- Really? Has- okay, I thought that was the opposite. Okay, go because ahead, please. He has to come to that decision by himself. Okay. If, if, if I influence that decision, it's not his decision, it's me. Okay, I see. You know? But so you, be- if- you believe yeah. internally the correct decision for him is to get off the couch and go help his wife. No one should tell him. No one can tell him that. But internally, he needs to arrive at that level himself. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Yes. You, I was like thinking to myself, did he just like completely do a 180 now and then just throw, that, <laughs> throw all of that juicy truth away in the trash can? Okay. Good. 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 Here's, good. A, here's a fine turkey. Now watch me put it in the trash. <laughs> <laughs> No, and then what, it's important. No, I actually like that you made that distinction because let's say his wife gets under his hood, right? And let's say, you know, you just sit there and you play your video games. Well, now, if you're starting to shame and guilt your husband like that, he's going to double down in his bad behavior, right? The more you prod and the more you coax, the more you push him to get off the couch, he's like, no, no, you're just you're trying to, you know, this is my one day off this week. And now you're trying to ruin my life. Right. And like, mm-hmm. he's just going to double down in his, in his behavior. Whereas mm-hmm. if you just say, okay, sweetie, I guess I'm going to have to go to the store alone, all alone and lift this. There's going to be some heavy growth. I'll be okay. I'll be okay. Right. Mm-hmm. That now, now, like, you know, obviously not that overt and not that manipulative, but you can actually draw at the man's heartstrings, right? And you can, and, and you can hopefully through your silence, you can, um, you can make him feel guilty and, and make him do the right. Well, well you can make him, you make him come to the right decision by not saying anything. Yes. Yeah. So I, I, this is, I heard the story. Uh, a friend of mine told me the story uh, a couple years ago. He actually reiterated a couple, reiterated it a couple days, a couple months ago. Um, so there was this family uh, of uh, um, whose wife had been complaining that you know her husband doesn't go to church with them, right? She really wants them to go to church, and I'm like thinking, okay, great story, bro. It's like, wait, wait a minute. So he says, okay, you know, so the wife's been complaining and nagging for a long time, you know, trying to get this guy to church. Sometimes he'd go, but he'd be miserable, and he just he just wants to come out whenever he could, come out, have a cigarette, you know. Who was thinking about the game? He wasn't there at all, you know. So eventually he just stopped going, no matter what she did or said, he would just stayed at home, smoke cigarettes, you know, drank beer and watched the game. And the kids would all, it's like that Norman Rockwell, oh, beautiful Norman Rockwell painting where the family's off to church, the father's sitting down smoking and the kids are looking at him with disgust and the family. That's, that's America today for sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, so, and, <laughs> and so my, this friend, this, um, this woman finally talked to someone about it, a very wise guy, very wise guy. The guy told her, listen, mate, if you don't know anything about guys is that, okay, it's not, that's not how you get him to do this, all right? So here, here's what you're going to do, okay? First, you have to forget about the church thing. It's not, if it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen. That's, you, you can't kill him, you know what I mean? You can, but that's just pretty <laughs> you know, If it's that important, sure, I guess, but, so see, you forget about the church thing. Just, if you can help him out on Sundays to be just, to to just feel at home when you're leaving if you just if you can do that let's see what happens right so he's sitting down there sunday again he's ready for this battle that usually happens in the mornings before he <laughs> eventually decides he's not going to win nor is he going to lose he's going to be indifferent and sit down and smoke and drink and watch his game and she says to him she says okay i'm going off to church with the kids and he says okay he's surprised no yelling and he she says i can i can I, you know, can can I buy you a pack of cigarettes? It's like, like oh, oh, wow, wow, yeah. What do you, what do you mean? It's like, yeah, I, I noticed that, you know, you're almost out. Can I, you know, quickly get you a pack of cigarettes before I head out? It's like, yeah, sure. That's, that sounds, that sounds <laughs> pretty good, actually. <laughs> you know? And yeah. this happened, this continued for a while. This continued for a while. 
And so this guy's like, holy crap. My wife is amazing. And she like, she's, she's, because she's amazing, because she's amazing, I want to do something. I, I just want to be with her. I want to do something. I want to do something that I know she'll want me to do. Ah, yeah, you know I mean? yeah, So yeah, he made yeah. a decision for himself you know, by her strength. There's, there's a strength of women that people don't understand. People think that women are weak. Physically, absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, what about Ronda Rossi? That's one chick. <laughs> one woman. Okay? Calm down. But women are strong in another kind of way. Brilliantly strong, you know? By her strength, this guy made a, made a, made a, something changed in him. There was, a, there was a strengthening. He, men borrow strength for women. There's a certain kind of strength that we pull from them. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. An, an internal strength. A woman can, a woman can deal. I mean, they make the best spies. Women can deal with a lot of stress. There's a kind of stress that a woman can deal with that a guy would just not be able to deal with as adequately as she would. You yeah, know what I mean? yeah. And so we pull strengths from our wives and from our significant others. So often, I think that the, what we don't know, or what, we, what we misunderstand is... It's not about making sure people don't do what they want to do and you forcing them to do what you want them to do. But often it's simply about allowing them to do what they want to do and making them comfortable, or should I say making it how you say is as it's like too and, comfortable. <laughs> yeah, but it, it gets weird because you don't, you know, there, there are dark situations in this world. They're like, yeah, yeah. this is not tailored, to, this is not like a blanket statement, you know what I mean? This is tailored to certain individuals in certain situations. But the human heart operates in a sense i don't know why but we tend to rise to the occasion for those we love we don't no husband in his right mind rises to occasion for the nagging wife it just doesn't happen he's like i'm just gonna crawl on crawl into the roof and i'm gonna sleep there until she's dead you know <laughs> you know you know it's like there's no guy that ever says you know you know sweetheart on the 30th time you asked me i just my heart just changed right <laughs> my, my heart <laughs> yeah, I did. It's called a heart attack. <laughs> you know? But there is no man in this world, no man, unless he's he's just a he's just not, I don't want to say too much. I just say he's not just he's just not there. But many men, especially American men, there is very there are very few American men who will not rise to the occasion for the ones they love. I've not seen it. It's like it's part of the American myth. Mm. You know, it's part of the American myth. It's part of the American mind that men rise to the occasion for the ones who love. Oh, your film's about protecting the ones we love. It's so it's so superficial in the movies because they think, you know, they they, they operate in in a very fantastic world, but in real life, it's the same thing. So I think I, I think I think you're on to something here, and I, I love that story you just told. Because I think what it strikes at is it does it does strike a little bit at the uh, relationship that we have with our ego, and and here's how it plays out. Yeah. If you, every every man out there loves to play the knight to help the damsel in distress, but ma'am, can I help you with that? You know, we like in New York City. Um, if a lady is trying to struggle to get her shopping cart or whatever up the stairs, ma'am, can I help you out? All of us guys, we love doing that kind of stuff. We yeah, love, we, we love, we love it, love it. However, when we're being told to do it, suddenly the dynamics change because now that person has become like an oppressor or that person has become like a, a master over you. And now, yeah. and see, because the, the, the male mind is a funny thing because we are trained to fight oppression, but at the same time, we're also trained to protect innocence. So, so we have these two dichotomies going on here where it's like our mind is telling us protect the damsel in distress, protect innocence, uh, protect the weak, protect the helpless. But then if someone starts opening their mouth and bossing you around, that innocent person, even though they may very well be innocent, because they open their, their mouth and they're forcing you to do this, now all of a sudden you're viewing them as being like an oppressor and now you're responding accordingly. So I, I, I think you're right. I think a lot of women uh, should know that about us guys that like we, we do like deep down inside, we want to do the right thing, but you have to talk to us in a funny way in order to get it to work. My guys are so strange, you know, we just don't get it. Um, but often, you know, under the right circumstances, 
we 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 rise to the occasion. We do the right thing. You know, I I think I think that we can if we. Yeah, I, I think we we are often we're often often out of our depths, but we 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 try. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Um, so the last thing I kind of want to talk about here with this family dynamic um, is. How do you, do you think like I and I want to go back to what I originally said and I, I think there are those moments in life where you need you need to go to the grocery store you need to go to the shopping mall you need to help your wife with whatever it is that she needs help with and I absolutely agree with you and, and you will feel you won't feel good while you're at the shopping mall you may not even feel good um, later that day, but you yeah. will like over the course of months and years, you will feel good about yourself as a human being. You'll be like, I'm a, I'm a man of integrity. I'm a man of honor. And I do what's at, what, what's needed of me. And you'll look yourself in the mirror and be more proud of yourself than any six pack or whatever it could give you. And I fundamentally agree with that. That's a really good point. Do you, I, I do think though, that when it comes to boundaries, right? If people are a little bit too much on on top of each other. Now, I want if you hear me out on this, if you have someone in your life and you're constantly texting each other throughout the day or whatever, oh, guess what happened? You know, minute, you know, five fifty one. Oh, this happened five fifty two, five fifty three, five fifty four. Right? Like if you're just constantly on top of each other, I don't think that that's necessarily healthy because I I think that in order to sustain balance in any type of relationship yes. need, you know, kids know kids are lovely. I don't have kids, but I, I have a feeling that they kind of know how to escape into their own little worlds. They want to go play their Pokemon or they want to go talk with their friends or whatever, you know, kids can, yeah, they, I, I believe so. Yeah. They, they, you don't need to worry as much with them, but I think with significant others and girlfriends and wives, it's like, I do think, that a few hours each day that you're apart, and, and it goes back to the old adage, you know, you know, um, distance makes the heart grow fonder. There is some truth in that because now you can kind of regroup and be like, oh, you're never going to believe what happened to me over here, or sweetheart, look what I built over here, or oh, I read a really interesting thing the other day. You know, like I, I feel like when you properly cultivate each other, you're, you're, when you properly cultivate yourself as an individual, and then you sort of regroup in that formation, it actually makes, it makes the relationship stronger because you each have your unique hobbies, passions, interests, and experiences. Like if you have those unique experiences, you can actually reflect with somebody who's your partner in life and talk about those things. Whereas if it's play by play, it's like you can't vicariously live someone else's life. You know, you're either there at work with me or you're not. And I think yeah. I think a lot of people kind of diminish the value of quality time together by t- sp- speaking a little bit too much on the phone or too much text messaging. I think I think it's really healthy for that like that nice separation throughout the day and then that coming together because you also have completed stories because if you're 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 creating anxiety on the other person because if you're constantly giving them play by play what happens what happens you gotta tell me whereas maybe it's just better i deal with this on my own and then i come home and then i tell you how i dealt with it and now it's a nice crisp story whereas if you're constantly connecting with someone through text messages every second is a freaking cliffhanger and that's that doesn't feel good yeah, I mean, there's a <clears throat> when you know it's important that people have their own lives, separate lives, especially especially before they get married and especially before they you know even start dating, because you don't want to get absorbed into the person's life and that you know people start talking about you know what's it called um, codependency and uh, um, 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 an obsession perhaps even with the other and so forth and clingy. Neither word often used. She's very clingy. He's very clingy. Oh yeah, well, simply because the person doesn't have their own life. There's also a lot of clingy guys out there, by yeah. the way. I just want to throw, you know, it, it goes both ways of the street. Oh no, I I know I said she's very clingy, he's very clingy. Oh yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 uh it's a very natural thing, but it's simply indicative of the fact that you know a lot of people don't have don't believe they have interesting lives, or don't don't really have interesting lives, and so or they're not really aware of their own lives. And they end up becoming like leech-like parasites on another person. 
because they 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 totally abandoned themselves and tried to it's almost like an absorption of this person's of this other person's experience um but <clears throat> yeah i think it's simply important it's important to have that so to have your own life because you don't you don't want to you don't want to bring nothing to the table you certainly don't want to be a um um a bother or, an, or a nuisance in someone else's life um now if if you guys simply do enjoy each other and naturally end up chatting as much as you do on the phone or texting and all that then fine by all means um but if it's a situation where it's it's obviously that it, it's obvious that you're playing an interesting you know newly you know um new relationship game um then it's 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 not it's not very helpful but for the most part i i i I, I, I can see the dangers in that, but I could I could also see I could also see the I, I like to believe there's also some good there too, you know. Um, well, I, I think it allows both partners to develop healthy pride, and you know we, we talked about the difference between evil pride and healthy pride, because if you have a healthy pride in something that you yourself do, when you see somebody else engaged in something, so let's just say for example you have your guy playing video games and his wife walks by and says oh he's so obsessed with this video game and not talking to me right now or whatever if that wife has a healthy pride in something that she does she's a little less aware of how much time her husband is playing video games right if she if she's really into her painting if she's really into puzzles if she's really into some kind of thing that gives her healthy pride, she can kind of turn a blind eye more to her hubby playing video games because she, you know her hubby has his special interest and she has her special interest. Whereas if both if that's not cultivated in both individuals, then each individual becomes resentful when the other person is not paying enough attention to them. Yes. I mean it's uh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you got to be about something. You got to be about something besides the other person. It's simple, you know. Um, it's if that and if there's if such an imbalance exists, then you're right. There is a resentment. There is, you know, why do you spend more time with me and so forth? And there's nothing wrong with actually asking that question if it's a legitimate question, you know. Um, but sometimes, often and often the case, especially amongst the young. Is you know to we often try we often want to be totally enveloped by the other person or we want to consume them. It's a very strange, strange situation where it's you know the old romantic poetry and all these love songs that talk about you know just the the the, the epitome of, um, of 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 you are my everything. You are my <laughs> moon. You are Thank my you. sky. <laughs> and I can't breathe without you. It's like, you know, yes, yes, you can breathe without me. And it's a shame. <laughs> it's a damn shame if you're a grown, grown, grown human being and cannot breathe without me. You know what I mean? It's, it's. Yeah, and you know, I besides, I, I honestly think that that you know, th this idea that like, I think relationships are formed by two cultivated individuals coming together and, and right. they have to be cultivated individuals because it's just for the reason that you described if one of the individuals is not properly cultivated and yes. every single time that other individual like gets infatuated with one of their hobbies or one of their interests or something they take it as a personal attack well you're not interested in me anymore you don't love me anymore you know but if if you have two healthy integrated and cultivated individuals coming together you won't have that as much okay you may you may have some other kind of alignment issues and you do need to have a movie night you do have to have a romantic restaurant night you do have to do things together this is absolutely fundamental it can't just be like um you know hello there uh sally uh nice to see you what will be for dinner to you know it can't it can't just be like complete it can't be two strangers just inhabiting the same space like your wife is not your roommate like it just that's just that she's not she's not just a roommate that just pays you rent every month or something there is there right. is more to that relationship uh than that um but i i, I think I, I think that making a schedule or having rules upon like okay 
I really like, I, I think even just saying like, okay, I really would like to dedicate some time to this right now. However, what about tomorrow or what about later today? Like, I, because I think that when you say no, and, and here's the thing about anyone, and, and this goes for friends even, it's okay to say no, but also have like, that's not going to work. However, what about next week or what about tomorrow, right? Because like, I think that shows maturity and that, that shows that you still care about the person. Like, hey, I'm highly interested in this thing that I'm doing right now, but we can do it tomorrow. And then, you know, if they accuse you, oh, it's only, you're only available when you're ready or whatever, you know, it's like, okay, when are you ready? When, when are we both ready, right? And having, ha splicing it out so that not one person is in control, um, but that you're, you're, you're coming together in a time that works well for both of you. Yes, I think I think that does make a good amount of sense, and um, and yeah. the, the addition the addition of you know not today but tomorrow is very helpful. It does, and it shows that you are interested. At least if you are in fact interested. Yeah. You know? um, so yeah. Yeah, and, and 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 vice versa. If tomorrow doesn't work, then you know you just keep throwing darts on on the board until until something sticks and something lands. Because it's not about because like you know there there is a valid criticism of like well it's only on your time right it's only when you're ready to do something that we do it or whatever and okay fair enough I hear you I'm like well when are you ready to do this you know let's make sure that we're properly aligned and that you know if you are free you're not just holding out to, to prove a point you're, you're holding out because you also have something else planned on that day um, Kenny thank you so much for setting these boundaries with me today <laughs> no worries my good man anytime this concludes the 146th episode of the Truth Island podcast I'm Aaron Azrod